first time in the book of Isaiah, we have mentioned by name Cyrus, the Persian emperor who God uses to do all these things. So uh, unique that we actually have a name here of a historical figure. So what's the significance of naming him here? What's the significance of calling him his shepherd? Kind of surprising to have a, a foreign a foreign ruler described as the shepherd of God like that. So we're looking at these sorts of questions today, and we're joined today by one of our regular guests. We've got Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor out in Frona, Missouri, but here today in the studio. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? I am well, thank you, and good morning to you as well. Thank you, thank you. I am excited to look at this chapter here. It is, um, I mean, it's not every in every chapter that you have like particular people mentioned, and it's kind of unusual to have uh, particular people mentioned in the midst of uh, what's this kind of poetic poetry, isn't it? Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, one of those fascinating things where in chapter forty four we hear that God has appointed a people, an ancient people, for Himself, and He's raised up those who will be His witnesses, and now Cyrus. His chosen instrument, as, as he's described in this chapter, is one of those whom God has, in his time, appointed to be a witness to God keeping his promises. And, and uh, the, the ongoing reality that you and I, from this perspective in history, we can, we can look back and say, oh, yes, that man did show up later. What's going yep. on here is, is Isaiah's telling us God's already picked him. Nobody knows who he is. He's already named. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I think the other thing that really fascinates me about this chapter, too, is in this middle section that we're going to look at today, it's a very kind of, I feel like it's a creative disparagement of idol worship. Absolutely. That, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure if this logic is used in many other places in scriptures, but I mean, it, we're going to, we'll take a look at it in a minute, but it's very particular, like saying, hey, honestly, guys, I would rather take a warm blanket or a hot meal yep, than an yep. idol because <laughs> they don't do anything more than that. Yeah. It's, it's, I've frequently referred to this particular section in Bible classes to identify what I call some of the, the humor, at, at least in the sense of God <laughs> poking fun at something that yeah. actually when you listen to it, you're going, yeah, that is kind of silly, isn't it? So it's, it's yeah. a, a, one of the lighter the lighter ways of bringing God's condemnation on human foolishness. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Just as, as you were saying, kind of as like a common sense appeal, like that doesn't really add up now, does it, no, you know, just no. kind of appealing to uh, just, you know, I mean, really, yeah, just, just kind of a, a common way of looking at things and saying like, well, when you look at it that way, that's, that's actually doesn't really add up, does it? No, not so, at all. <laughs> right. So some really interesting stuff here in this chapter to look at, um, We'll have to take a look at a second here how this ties into chapter 43, because immediately it does in a big way. Uh, but as we get started, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening today? Certainly. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious God, you have a calling to your people. You have appointed us to be in this world without being of the world. You have called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. This challenge requires us to acknowledge that we are no better than our neighbors and that like them we are fully dependent on you. Keep us from false pride and arrogance because you have revealed truth to us. We did not find it on our own. Help us also then to be what you have appointed your people to be. 
witnesses to the truth, salt in a time of needing preservation and healing, and light to shine in the darkness to bring your love to those around us. We ask these things in the name of our Savior Jesus, having been baptized into his death and resurrection, receiving your spirit to give us strength. In his name, amen. Amen. All right, so looking at these first five verses here of chapter 44, it it strikes me that this seems to be, and, and you know, I'm not saying that I would get this right all the time or that I am right even, but we've seen that a few times these chapter divisions don't seem to really uh, land where we where we think they ought to. And this feels like it's one of them because these first five verses seem like they're kind of the conclusion that we were all wishing for yeah. <laughs> at the end of mm-hmm. chapter 43 last time. You know, because yesterday we kind of had to end on a little bit of a downer of, you know, um, and, and I, I mentioned at the very end of the program that uh, I don't know, you can kind of. Uh, debate whether that should be translated as future or past tense. I think past tense makes sense for a number of reasons. But I mean, just in in any case, the last words being, you know, I I profaned the princes of the sanctuary Mm -hmm. to deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. You know, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right. I mean, you're you're kind of like, yeah, Yeah. but it seems like really the conclusion um, that that's for those verses and for that chapter really is in these first five verses here, this word of gospel that we have. And it it picks up when we when we look at that very introductory phrase from what we call chapter 44, verse one, the 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 almost reflexive changing gears. But now now here's something different. Listen to something new that goes with what I just said. And when, right. we, and when we think about the promise that God made way back in the day of Moses, as Moses is reading the, the book to the people and you get to the end of Numbers, the reminder to Moses he'll die and not enter the land of promise, and the people will wander away. Here's God fulfilling what he said he would fulfill when they worshiped other gods, and now he's about to give through Isaiah, the promise that he hasn't stopped the process. There was an end game beyond being profaned uh, among the the people and being delivered to destruction. There's there's a purpose behind it, and now we're going to point toward that purpose. Exactly. Let's go ahead and read these first five verses here. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen— Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Yerushun, whom I've chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call in the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand the Lord's, and the name himself, and name himself by the name of Israel. So, I mean, this, uh, this, these last five verses, or first five verses, depending on how you look at it, they really, they really do complement what we saw in chapter forty-three. The the same language of creation is used here, right? That thus mm-hmm. says the Lord who made yes. you, who formed you from the womb. That was the same kind of refrain that we saw all over forty-three. This language of, hey, you know, I created you when I took you up out of Egypt. You know, I, I formed you. That that was me creating you to be 
uh, my people. And so that that same idea seems to run through here as a way of saying, yes, it's true. I delivered you over to destruction because of sin, but don't forget my name is on you and I'm not going to abandon you. Yes, and I think this um, tied to that very closing section in, in what we call chapter 43, where I I profaned the princes of the sanctuary. Um, and I'm thinking of Jeremiah's refrain later when the people cry out the temple of the Lord and and trust the temple. Here, here right. Isaiah is pointing out that, that the real issue is not the princes they serve, and he gets to this uh, in the next section, but it's the God who appoints those who serve in his place. And so he says here, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Yeshurun, whom I have chosen. Getting back to that name that God uses and places on his people, he calls this one his. He formed him in the womb. Now he says, you are my servant. I've chosen you. And the thing that came to my mind as I was reading this, couldn't help but uh, especially with the section that comes next, this pouring out of this this spirit on your offspring and on your descendants, the the reading from Acts one as Jesus is mm. talking to the disciples right before the ascension, and he says, "I'm going to pour out on you spirit, and and you will be then witnesses." And so we have here that same thought coming that God is pouring out His spirit upon your offspring, my blessings on your descendants. And when that happens, the imagery used here in chapter 44 is, is a desert climate where everything's dried up and, and there's no life left in it. Right, right. And, and the Lord says, but the real source of the life is me and my blessing that comes through my word, my spirit, and I will not hold that back. I will pour it out upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and then they're going to spring up among the grass. They're going to be like the plants that grow where there's plenty of water. And God's God's future is going to be filled with great blessing. And I, like I said, I couldn't help but go to Acts chapter 1 where Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. And these are the ones whom God chooses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, that's, that's a good connection to make. The idea we, we can't forget, we saw this with the first part of Isaiah, that, you know, these descriptions of, you know, pouring out water in a, th a thirsty land and in the wilderness and all this, it, it's not necessarily the, the same idea that's, you know, kind of pointing out to, say, John the Baptist or, mm -hmm. you know, God protecting his people as they traverse the wilderness. But sometimes this wilderness desert language is used to describe Judah itself after it's been destroyed mm -hmm. and that you have this picture of this this uncultivated land the the irrigation has uh, you know been destroyed right everything's been marred by the wheels of war and you you've got what looks like just another wilderness it doesn't look like cultivated fields at all and there's this idea that when god um you know brings the people back from exile and they come back with guided by the the post-exilic prophets um, and and leaders like um, you know like Ezra and Nehemiah and the rest, that this is like God pouring out water in, in those in those both in those both senses combined, both in the sense of uh, pouring out water uh, physically and right. restoring the land, but then also guiding them by His Spirit. I mean, because you get all these all these prophets show up after like this seventy year um, hiatus where it was just kind of 
Nothing. I guess basically yeah. just Dan- I mean, just basically Daniel kind of like doing mm-hmm. what he could. Right now, you're going to have um, like multiple prophets running around and directing the people, and the word of the Lord being spoken and heard once again. That that true stream of living water. Yeah, and, and your your comment just now caused my brain to to jump to the statement of when Jesus tells the, the account of rich man and Lazarus, and his his request is for a drop of water. In, right in the uh, in the desert of of yep. persecution or punishment rather, and God's response is they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. Them. Yeah, yeah, and and in the Babylonian captivity, the people still had the written word, even if they didn't have a present prophet. They still had the written word of the earlier prophets, and and this is I think for you and me also uh, in our time when people say, well, why isn't God giving us some kind of a clear answer here he already has right and and the answer is always in his word and again this streams of living water will flow out of the one who who has belief in jesus christ and so we see these themes of old testament promises that jesus always alludes to in his his statements in his parables i've i've over the years this is a focus i've had brought to my attention, and and I'm trying to deal with it on a constant recurring basis. Almost every time Jesus says something, he is referencing an event or a prophetic writing in the Old Testament. He's not Mm -hmm. just picking things that match the event. He's actually pulling together the Old Covenant promises. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, that's I appreciate making those connections there because yeah, I mean it is it is a little bit of a paradox for us because I feel like we can on the one hand relate to the early church situation like in Acts like this is you know our situation is is their situation God right. is pouring out His Spirit and we have His Word and His sacraments in the church right and, and we have this this access and and we have this uh, I mean this this really this feast of of information and mm-hmm. gospel news and all the rest. Like we have all the scriptures, like, you know, like on our cell phones. Right. That's but, right there. Right. It's, it's, it's all there. Right. But on the other hand, we don't just relate to the early church. We also kind of relate really well to the exiles in the old Testament that on, on the other hand, we look mm-hmm. around um, in, in the land that we're in and we say, wow, it feels like a wilderness out here sometimes. It feels like sometimes it's this is a dry land that that needs desperately the word of God but doesn't have it, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 wh- and where where is it to be found? And uh, so we, we, we have this tension of, of feeling kind of both, uh, both you know, B.C. exile and uh, A.D. <laughs> early church at the same time. Right. Um, but, but either way, it's not that the word of God is is gone, but rather that it's, it's, um, it's really, it's been, it's been refused in the same way that led into the exile, right? Yes. Yes. The, the blind who won't see. And we get to that right, a little yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. That's right. All right. Well, let, let's pick it up here. We, so we have that, that concluding section or that transitional section, and then this moves into kind of a new, uh, a new portion. I mean, it's kind of revisiting some some familiar themes. These ideas of uh, being appointed from the beginning or from of old, right? That's that's something we've seen in the last couple chapters. The folly of idolatry, but in, in these sections here, it's a, a little bit of a different perspective here. So let's go ahead and read this next section, beginning in verse six. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who's like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what's to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All right, so just pausing here briefly. It, it is stuff that we, we have seen um, in chapter 42, chapter 43. Uh, th it's, it's just very explicit, though. It's kind of taking all the different ways of saying it and putting it all together. You know, you got things like, you know, who is like me? It's an interesting phrase. It, it's uh, it's kind of like the name Michael, right? Who is mm -hmm. who is like God? But it's just right. God putting it on his own, his own self. You know, who's like me? Answer, no one. Um, and then you just very explicitly get that at the very end. Um, you know, there is no rock. We've seen how uh, that word gets used sometimes just as a synonym for God. You right. know, it's just like mm -hmm. such a, it, you just kind of think of, you know, and we use it, use it kind, of the, kind of the same way a little bit in English today when we talk about people being our rock. Um, usually we refer to our spouses that way. <laughs> yeah, a, a firm, <laughs> but, but solid place. You ex exactly right. Yeah, that firm, solid place. And, and so it's very commonly used in the Old Testament to mean God. And it just says at the very end, I don't know of any other guys. I'm I'm it. Yeah. And and the idea uh reminded of Psalm 27 the Lord will set me high upon a rock. And and that rock is a place of protection or out of harm's way or out of the sight of your enemy. They can't even locate you. And and none of the idols that are pursued by the Israelites can be that for them. This is the one who says, "I'm with you. I've always been with you." Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. Wait, that's another one. Um, but but this, don't be afraid. Fear mm -hmm. not. I'm with you. And you are my witnesses. And we often say, well, wow, they're lousy witnesses, aren't they? Because look, <laughs> how, look how they responded to God. But his point is they continue to be a people. They continue right, to be exactly. his people. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, no, because we were looking at that before. That in, in, even in the same chapter earlier, you know, God was saying, "No, you're you're my servant, and you're blind and you're deaf because mm -hmm. you know I, I did all these things, and you just you didn't get it. You, it's like you didn't see. It's like you didn't hear. Uh, and you're my witnesses, right? And so it's really weird that God's calling this blind, deaf servant to be his witness. I, no. What's this? Uh, what's this servant going to do? But but the thing is, when when he's saying this, like you're my witnesses, I, I think this is reaffirming that they're having their eyes opened now and they're having their ears opened right now. Mm -hmm. they're, they're witnesses because they're coming out of exile. I mean, he's proving his point right now that, that he's the only one who is going to worship, uh, who is going to take them out of exile. And so I, I just kind of putting us into their shoes. We know that, but leading up to the exile, I mean, there was all kinds of temptation to idolatry. We saw that as they were making the alliances with the different gods and the different nations, mm -hmm. right? Yes. They're falling into idolatry that way under uh, kings like, uh, you know, um, Ahaz, right? But mm -hmm. then um, in the exile, they they were tempted, you know, and this, this seems to be kind of maybe reading, reading a little bit between the lines, but in the exile, they were tempted to think, and we saw this, uh, we'll see this in the, in the later chapters here coming up, um, there's this idea that they were tempted to think that God had died. And that's actually mm -hmm. the language you get, like, once we get to, like, you know, chapter 54 or something like that. They were tempted to think that their God was just defeated. 
oh, I guess we were worshiping the wrong god. And, and of course, they go to Babylon, and there's a, a plethora of uh-huh. new gods, of new options, right? And they may have been thinking during this time of exile, like, well, it's time to find some new gods. I mean, we, we need to find, some, we need to get an upgrade here. We need to yeah. find a god who's not just going to die on us. But like with all these different gods they were finding, none of them were taking them out of exile. And, and I think this is the point why like idolatry is focused on so much here, because he's saying mm-hmm. it's time to leave all those old gods behind and go back to Judah. Yes. And, and we think about the, the concept of a, of a god who is locally uh, powerful. And, and once you get farther away from the place that god is, the less influence he has. And, and this is the one who says, I have formed everything from of old. I created the world so that I'm not locally confined. It's my right. tool as opposed to I'm the servant of the creation and get away right. from where my power source is. I lose strength. He's the one who says, I will be with you here. I will be with you there. And there is no God besides me. This is it. Yeah. So we, um, we're thinking, you know, you mentioned earlier Daniel as, as a witness to God's truth. I remember right. the, the other three guys, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. There's that name, Mishael, Mishael, one who is like God or who is like God. Yeah. And, and they're invited to bow down and worship, and their response is, you know, our God may save us, he may not save us. That's not the point. He said, right. don't do this. We're, we're his. So we're, we're not bowing down. You can kill us if you want to. We don't care. And, right. And that, yeah, I know. Just strong contrast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, just what I mean, what a powerful witness. Right. I mean, like willing to, to be martyrs and witnesses, literally. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, just that that confidence. I mean, that, you know, I mean, and it's really in the face of, of the challenge of Nebuchadnezzar. Right. When we remember that he said, you know, when, and who is the God who will rescue you from my hand? Right. Right. And they just say, like, kind of like on the contrary, implicitly, like, well, there there is no one who can who can save us except for him. Right. So, I yep. mean, what's what's the point of trying to go along with with your program here? I mean, really, they are confessing this. What we just read: there is no yeah. God uh, besides Him. We don't know of any other. This one will say, "I am the Lord's." Another one will call on the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, "The Lord's." Yeah, <laughs> three yep. guys. What do you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we, I really do want to get into this new section here, but we have to go into our break first. But everybody, hang on. We're going to look at this next section in Isaiah chapter 44. Really, this remarkable section talking about just how futile, how useless idolatry is. Hang on. We're looking at Isaiah 44. Thy strong word. We'll be right back. the day after Thanksgiving, the Peace Lutheran Church Men's Club invites you to their annual Christmas tree lot. Select from freshly cut Fraser, balsam, white pine, and spruce, ranging between 5 and 12 feet tall. Friendly helpers will trim, net, and tie your tree for you. Also available are beautiful wreaths and grave mats. 
Come find your perfect tree at 737 Barracks View Road in St. Louis. Open from noon to 8 weekdays and 9 to 8 weekends. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Ani's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. This week on Lamplighter Theater. Oh no! Hold on! Hold on, Claw! Charlie! Oh, Charlie! Hang on, Claw. We've got Claw to get to the beach. Don't miss the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri, here in the studio with us, looking at Isaiah chapter 44. We, we just read these the kind of concluding section, really, of uh, the previous chapter, of chapter 43, looking at the idea of, yes, you know, we are the creation of God. He's put his name on us from the beginning. He's not going to abandon us now. And, and then this new section opening up, in, in verse six, really focusing on the idea of God as totally unique. There is no other besides him. And this is where we're really going to get into the stride here of this chapter, really just a, a thorough, uh, just tearing apart of the whole notion of idol worship. Uh, again, addressing that situation that the exiles were in. You do not need to find yourselves new gods. You've been looking for new ones there in Babylon because there were plenty to pick from but none of them have done anything for you. I'm the only one who's taking you out of there. I'm the only one who's taking you back to the promised land. And uh, we can, after we read this, kind of make some applications, I think, to our own situation to be sure. If you have a question for, for me or Pastor Tice as we go along here in chapter 44, I do invite you to call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727. If you're in St. Louis, you can call 314 8 210850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So let's go ahead and read this next section. The, the ESV stops marking it as poetry. It makes it kind of out to be prose, just kind of like a couple big paragraphs here. But it does feel awfully poetic to me still. Other translations keep it in those poetic lines. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and continue beginning in verse 9. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that it's profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together." The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. 
The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shaves it with the pla- shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms it himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of the fire, he burn, half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I'm warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. Shall I make the rest of it into an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie? In my right hand. So, I mean, just really, just a really scathing uh, rebuke here. Just, I mean, and it's so interesting how it's done because I, I do think it is. Um, there's like you know this the kind of poetic parallelism of of things like you know, um, you know the the ironsmith takes a cutting tool, works it over the coals, fashions it with hammers, works it with a strong arm. So there is that kind of like poetic, um, I, I think, uh, meter to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but. But like it, it's just so interesting the imagery. It's like here you go. You're you're making this idol into the shape of a man, right? Whereas, mm-hmm. <laughs> where let's think about this carefully. In order to do all this, though, you need to cut down this tree, which you're going to need to use to feed yourself. Right. You're you're actually making yourself hungry doing all of this work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be better if you just used the whole tree to have more fuel for food and fire. Yeah, it's it's the the futility and and the phrase the phrase that's used here is, you know, they are only human. The craftsmen are only human, and right. and then they take this and they assemble what they're making, this idol that they fashion, and and there are two things that are jumped out at me as as you were reading through here and as I looked at this content earlier, that they're taking one that they can then form into their own idea of what God should be. Of course, making God in man's image rather than man made in God's image. But right. not only not only do we construct it in our own image, it's also one you can control. This mm. this God you make, you literally control because you formed it. Right. But but Isaiah even goes into the the deeper analogy that says not only did you form the wood, you picked the tree. You maybe even planted the tree and grew it over the years intentionally so that you could make it into an idol. And at the same time, you're going to take the rest of the tree and cook your supper with it. And what I normally do when I'm referring to this in Bible class is I'll throw out this hypothetical question that Isaiah at least is implying. How bright are you really? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Can't you see what you're actually doing? The the irony of the fact that you had to f- a pick the piece of wood, b shape the piece of wood, and c set it up to worship 
while the rest of it, and maybe even, you know, if you've done any woodworking, you know that if you do carving and cutting, you're going to have some some uh, chips of wood, maybe a little sawdust here and there. You're going to pick up the very same component that you carved into an idol and take it out and burn it. It's not just the rest of the tree. It's even the, the wood shavings that came off of the thing you formed. And, yeah. and here, here what we see is the the... The term that should apply here is the term blockhead. <laughs> well, well done. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that the idea you can imagine, you know, the the, the whittling down and, and the woodworking, and you're left with those scraps and and the dust, right? That, that complements what you have there in verse twenty, right? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. He can't deliver himself. You know, he he can't rescue himself from this delusion. Right. Right. He can't rescue Mm -hmm. himself from this mirage. Like, why can't he wake up and say, I am holding a lie, you know, a lie that I've made myself. You know, he's saying like, like, just like you were saying, you know where it came from. This thing didn't fall down from the heavens. You mm-hmm. planted the tree, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You even planted the tree. You know from start to finish exactly where this came from. It, it came from you. And like because you went and did this, you now have less to work with. You have like you're you're hungrier, right? Mm-hmm. And and you yes. now and you now have mm-hmm. and you now have less wood wood to cook your food. Like yeah. like what are you doing to yourself? And and the the uh strong contrast is to the God who created the world and the one who supplies the rain that nourishes the, the tree that you planted, the one who provides the food that and the grain that you're going to break bake into bread as you burn up the rest of that tree, the real source of life and sustenance you ignore. Because if that God wasn't there until you formed him, how could that God have caused the grain to grow that you're baking into bread? There's, right. there's just a total denial of the reality of sequence which right. is pretty normal for human beings we we tend to pick the things we want to focus on and ignore the ones that don't agree with that yeah well i mean yeah i mean to a certain extent like we we're always doomed to do exactly that we're just we're small finite beings and if we try taking it all in all at once we we just are overwhelmed so we have to focus on something right but you know what are we focusing on right are, yeah. are we and then this is just focusing just on, in a way that just has it all backwards this is just kind of navel gazing really when it comes down to it we're just we're just looking at ourselves and that's why we're making an idol that is like mm-hmm. ourselves and we're it's just kind of this weird kind of backwards worship that's just just wasteful and useless and it contrasts as you were saying so strongly with the doctrine of creation that you know here you are creating your idol like well how about the god who created even the cedars that you're using to do this i mean we read uh, psalm 29 i think it was like on monday mm-hmm. and what a great psalm to contrast that with you know the, the it says there in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian to uh, like a young wild ox. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea that, you know, God's the one there making the mountains. He makes and breaks them with his earthquakes. You know, he's the one who makes the cedar forests up there in the mountains and the hills. You know, he he's the one who's sending the rain down. He's the one who renews the forest by uh, setting wildfires with lightning. Yes. I mean, he's mm-hmm. the one engaged in that in that cycle of creation and renewal. He's the one doing all of that. Why don't you look at him instead of wasting all of this wood on on this block to worship? Yeah, and this this constant challenge that the human beings have 
even those who deny it in a verbal way will say, well, we don't need to have a God, and yet they do continually look to something or someone that will be a source of security in time of need, whether it's a government structure or a savings plan or a a business model or some other form of identifying a secure source. And as we look at the way the economy changes, the way governments vary, the way uh, even what we would call education, knowledge, we learn something and then five years later we, we discover that the details were inaccurate or incomplete enough that they really didn't convey the truth. We keep looking at everything but the creator. And then right. as human beings, we've, we always land in the wrong place, which is why, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I have to be cautious about becoming arrogant or proud because That's what right. I know, I know by revelation from the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's not that I figured it out. It's that right. God, God led me to his truth. And in, well, yeah, no, yeah. isn't that isn't that something that last verse, I think, it applies to us, I, I think, yes. just as well as mm-hmm. anybody. No one delivers themselves from idolatry. Yeah. No, no one no one wakes up one day and says, you know what, guys, I've transcended this uh, this this silly superstition. Right. Mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of I've I've woken myself up out of this out of this dream. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, no, you, someone someone else has got to pour the, the water on you to use that metaphor that uh-huh. we use from <laughs> earlier. Right. Someone else has got to wake you up and snap you out of it. Um, it it's it's all God. It's all his grace. And and and, and more than that. We, I think, I think you're so right, brother. Like we do the same thing, even when we ourselves are not, you know, woodworking to mm-hmm. to make ourselves a carved idol. How often do we do the same thing? And, and modern poets have have really been making a lot of this. You know, we we use our technology. What just like just like this guy who's making the idol, we use our technology to make a form the form of a man, mm-hmm. right? We use our technology to, to stream videos and TV shows and movies where we have forms of people. Um, yes, and we, we, we use our phones and our, and our computer screens to look at the forms of people, pictures on, on Facebook and social media, right? And there we are looking at depictions of life. Mm-hmm. And, and, the po- and the poets these days um, have rightly, I think, made asked the question. So there we are watching life. What happened to living life? Mm-hmm. You know, there we go. Right. We're doing all this engagement in this kind of false reality. And what do we have to do? Well, we have to work more to pay for it all. We got to work more to like, you know, buy this two thousand dollar phone every year because we have to have the newest one or uh, whatever the case may be. We're actually like in the same way as this guy who's making the idol. Mm -hmm. We make idols for ourselves and end up wasting as much energy as anything on getting this whole thing backwards and inverted. Yeah. And it's and it's. Wrapped up also in the idea that the the solution to our problems can be found in what we can construct. What you and I are able right. to, to construct, manufacture, assemble will solve our problems. What we are solving are the symptoms. Yeah. The problem is, is rooted in our fallen human nature, and that we can't fix. Um, as I said, we can continually treat the symptoms and we find the the search over the decades now has been finding the cure the cure for cancer right and and the idea that cancer can be solved well the symptom is cancer 
Cancer is not the problem. The problem is the corruption that sin has brought to God's creation. That solution lies entirely in God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. And it's why the church continues to assemble so that God can continue to treat the problem or sin with his grace. Right. And until we turn to the real solution and I mean which is, you know, uniquely God who is uniquely the savior, until until we do that, I mean we are just going to keep falling into the same problems in different ways and uh, I, I think that's, I mean, that, that's a profound insight that that you're that you're opening up for us here. That you know, maybe we'll go and we'll, I mean, take take social social media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're solving the problem of say say we feel we feel isolated, right? Like oh, like you know, the people like you know, that I that I was friends with and my family, I, we moved far away, right? I feel disconnected from people. Sure. So I'm gonna, you know, we have social media, right? Well, that's gonna solve everything, right? And of course. The great irony is that you do lots and lots of social media and what happens? You feel really disconnected and isolated from people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, like this is like what like, well, all the studies are showing, like people, um, you know, they turn to social media because they feel depressed. And then after they use lots of social media, they feel more depressed. depressed. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, this is the stuff we're figuring out right now. It's we as long as we keep trying to just deal and obsess with the symptoms, mm-hmm. we're not actually going to get to the root of the problem. You know, if it is, is, of course, as important as community is relationships are right you're you're not really going to get to the heart of those things until mm-hmm. you look at the God who calls us into community, who gives us love and forgiveness to make truly intimate relationships possible. Until you look to the giver, you're going to end up losing what's been given. Yes, and I, I just, as you were talking about this, this concept of focus on our identity, our relationships, that's introduced at the beginning where it says, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Yahweh has named me his and now i have the relationship that matters and right. that, that relationship is constant no matter where i am in location in physical condition in uh, financial condition it doesn't matter where my circumstances may change the god who is my god your god is constant and and so there we'll find the the peace the world can't give, as Jesus puts it. Exactly. Well, let's go ahead and look at this last portion here of the chapter. It does kind of make a little bit of a turn. You know, it it does, I think, lead um, right into chapter 45 in a lot of ways. You know, Cyrus is mentioned here at the very end of the chapter, and that's exactly where chapter 45 is going to pick up, talking more about what, what God is doing through Cyrus. And so we are going to kind of end up leaving it kind of in the middle of a thought, um, turning to this last portion here. But um, it, it is also, I think, complementing this thought, too. We have a little bit more kind of thinking about it in terms of not just the, the Israelites in exile who have been, who have been tempted to uh, worship these Babylonian gods, but kind of focusing on the idea of, the, of you know, all the Babylonians and all their wisdom and all their power um, and, and everything that was so impressive about them that we were falling to temptation into, that stuff has been judged and that stuff has really been shown to be useless. So mm-hmm. it really rounds out the, the theme of the chapter. So let's pick it up at verse 21 to the end. 
Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you, you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So just a, a, a beautiful um, really conclusion to what was read earlier about about the folly of idolatry. But also, you know, it picks up all those themes from, from chapter 43. Again, going back to that language of, you know, I created you, I formed you from the womb. You're my servant. I'm not forgetting you. Your name is on me and my name is on you. So there's, there's that tie, that relationship uh, of the creator. Um, and then we also then in 24, especially right. That, that language of, you know, I alone stretched out the heavens who spread right. out the earth by mm -hmm. myself. It's um it's that, that same idea, like, you know, your, your idols, they come from my creation, right? Right. <laughs> you They're... made them from, you made them from the tree that you planted, but I'm the one who actually made all those things. Yeah. The, uh, the constant reminder that the idol couldn't form itself. There was nothing there to worship until you made it. And now you're right. afraid of it. But, right. But but instead, the, the call here is to remember, call to mind what God has already said and done. Not only has he called them, literally he formed them. You, O Jacob, right. I formed when you were nothing. Um, you know, the the uh, prophet um, reminds us when you're looking at, at this whole understanding of of how God formed his people. He did it through his word. He called them out of slavery, and he sent a servant, a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Now Cyrus is a shepherd. I think there's right. just, you know, just a little bit of of reminder yep. there in that term that, that God formed the people into a nation when they were no nation. And then having called them out of slavery and made them his people, now he said, you remain my people, even though you go back into an exile, into a place of slavery. You remain right. my people. And you and I are, I think, uh, I'm reminded of the hymn, uh, Life is a Desert Drear, Heaven is My Home. You know, mm. we, we are still here in this great tribulation, if you will. But nothing has changed. We are still God's servant. He has still formed us. And we are, using Paul's term, the true Israel, not of the flesh, but of the faith of Abraham. So even to us today... The, the cry then to creation, sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, bring forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, every tree. Why? 
redemption has occurred. All of creation is groaning. Again, Paul's reference. Waiting for the redemption to be revealed in the final days. And now we're pointing ahead to that same thought that God's creation will rejoice when humanity is fully redeemed from sin, body and soul. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I think I think you you put it well. Nothing has changed. It's it's God's same pattern of creation and salvation that He just does again and again and again. And uh, yeah, I really I really like that. You know, he, that language. You know, Cyrus, he is my shepherd. You know, on the one hand, that shepherd metaphor of course, just refers uh, very easily to a ruler, you know, it, mm-hmm. like it's just such a standard metaphor for a king. Yeah, Cyrus is a king. He's the, the king of the Persian Empire, you know, and so he's the, the king that God is using to fulfill his purpose. But uh, I think that your point, though, um, pointing back to Moses is, is spot on, though, because we saw this with the Assyrian uh, crisis, how when God sent out the angel of the Lord, when mm-hmm. they were walled up there, um, in the city of Jerusalem, that in many ways was like a second Passover, you know, right. like, you know, when the mm-hmm. angel of death came out and had to rescue them miraculously, that was like a second Passover. Well, I mean, this is like a second Red Sea crossing here, you know, instead of going out from from a place of slavery um, to go out into the promised land, here they are in a place of exile, which mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of similarity there um, to go back to the promised land. And so that language there in verse 27 who says to the deep, be dry and dry up your rivers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah, that sounds like Moses is, you know, lifting up his staff and parting the Red Sea again, right? Right. It's it's that it's that same kind of thing. Like, you know, here I am, I'm doing this again. And then as you said, um, when our Lord Jesus comes and says, you know, I am the good shepherd. And he says, you know, come to me um, and you will have streams of living water. You know, all mm-hmm. these things are just fulfilled in our Lord, who is yet another uh, true Passover and true Exodus and true return from exile. Yeah, and and as as our good shepherd, as you say, he is the one who is who is calling us now to follow him, and he says, "Don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. I'm the one whose creation is under my control, and my creation is designed to serve my purposes." Not just, right. you know, the, even even things like this past Sunday, uh, we were reading from the series C uh, gospel account in, in Luke, and Jesus makes reference to earthquakes and, and yep. tides and, and oceans. And, and we look around us and hear some of the things, and, and what I just mentioned to the folks in uh, church was was the, the flooding in Venice, which is, you know, right. occurred, occurred back in the 60s again. It's not something new it's just something noticed right all of that is still under god's control and it's a reminder to us that christ has said when these things happen sit up look around your redemption's drawing near well here he's saying to the people of israel who will be in captivity in babylon right your redemption will draw near and and the key word now is cyrus when cyrus comes you know things are getting better. It looks like yeah. the Babylonian Empire is falling apart. Oh, no. Now what? Now what is good stuff for you? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And and I think that um, I think that's also deliberate, too, in verse 25, where it talks about, you know, who frustrates the signs of liars. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think that's really talking about the Babylonians specifically. I mean, the word Chaldean was a synonym for both Babylonian 
and also like soothsayer, fortune teller, astrologer. I mean, like it just, the, the word just meant both. I mean, the Babylonians were just the astrologer enchanters like par excellence. Like no one was more into that stuff than they were. Sure. And it's part of the reason why they thought they were invincible. They thought that they could see everything coming, that they had all the omens and all the signs and their mm -hmm. empire was going to be um, eternal. And God goes and shows, no, your knowledge is foolish. I turn your wise men back. I make fools of your diviners. Um, I mean, that's the, we mentioned Daniel earlier. Daniel right. does just does the same thing. Mm -hmm. No, you're going to meet your end as well because it's time for me to rescue my people. Right. And, and the one who as picking up there at verse 26, he confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. And the, the counsel of his messengers is the Lord will redeem his people. And that's true Amen. for us as well. Amen. Thank you, brother. Always Thank a pleasure you. having you on. And uh, yeah, I appreciate just your insight into helping us see how, yeah, I mean, like in, in our day, as much as theirs, God is still our only salvation. And we need to look to the creator who is the one who loves us in Christ. All right. Thanks. Everybody, that was Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor from Frona, Missouri, joining us today to look at Isaiah 44. Moving on to chapter 45 next time. Thanks for joining us. And we thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.